Another way I just thought of, uh, the kids' church somewhat runs independently of the stories that they are learning. It's a curriculum. There's a, there's a set plan going through the Old Testament. We, we took a break and had a, a New Testament uh, mini-series for the kids on Easter. But uh, I think it's, it's, it's pretty cool today that the Emmaus disciples line up, because that's really our, our story as well. Now, we're still in the Jesus, Son of God series. And... As we look at that series, you know, three parts to it. It was easy to do that, three years of ministry, and you know, the first year, inaugural year, the second year, the year of popularity, and all the miracles that Jesus did. The third year, the year of rejection, and, and the ultimate rejection happened a week ago Friday, right at the cross. Uh, Jesus was rejected by the world. He was rejected by the religious leaders. He was rejected by his heavenly Father, forsaken. Now, you and I know that, that that was necessary for Jesus to experience this forsakenness, this rejection by God, because that's what hell is. And, and Jesus literally was, was paying for the price of our sins as he was forsaken and rejected by his Heavenly Father. Uh, now, today, and last Sunday, Easter, and it doesn't fit into a, a nice, you know, uh, Son of God, the year of rejection is, is over. And this is a post-Easter account. And, and next week we're going to wrap it up, uh, the, the post-Easter uh, account of, of Jesus. But, but today is by one of my favorite uh, post-Easter accounts, and, and it is the Emmaus uh, disciples. Now, who are the Emmaus disciples? Uh, the, the Bible doesn't tell us everything that we'd like to know. Uh, one of them isn't even named. And, and, and people that study it say, you know, it's probably Luke who later would be inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to give us this account, which kind of makes sense to me. He, he had been there, uh, eyewitness uh, to Jesus, and it could have been. Well, we don't know for sure. In fact, we don't, we don't even know if the unnamed one was a man. It could have been a woman. The second one, though, is named Cleopas or Cleopas. Um, and again, we don't know a lot about him from Scripture. Tradition has it that Cleopas was the brother of Joseph, who is the husband of Mary and the stepfather of, of Jesus. So in a sense, if that's correct, that uh, Cleopas would, would be the, the step-uncle, if you will, of Jesus. And I wouldn't be surprised at that. Now, we do know this, though, that they were believers. They had some misunderstandings, and, and we're going to see that... that um, they had some disappointment in Jesus that wasn't based on the facts, but they were believers. And after Jesus rose from the dead, we're told in Scripture, he only appeared to his believers. Uh, there were a little bit over 500 of them, and he appeared to each and every one of them, and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He didn't appear to the unbelieving world anymore. Uh, Jesus was done with that. He only appeared again to believers. And, and in this account, uh, again, we, we see these, these two people. Um, many assume they're both men, but it could have been a... Cleopas could have been with his wife. But they're, but they're disciples, they're followers of Christ. Now, their conversation is very heavy. They have a lot on their mind. They're discussing, they're reviewing all the events that happened over the last three days. Um, I, I take it from the context that they, along with all the Christ followers, were really surprised at the turn of events. Uh, they, they had hopes in Jesus. 
Their expectations of Jesus is that you know, he is the Messiah, that he's going to redeem Israel, because the Old Testament prophets talked about that. But, but again, their understanding of redemption is a lot different than, than our understanding, a lot different than what the Bible was actually uh, teaching. But their hearts are heavy, their conversation is, is even heavier. Now, Jesus decides to merge in uh, with, with their conversation. Listen again to verses 13 through 19. Now that same day, Easter day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. By the way, um, as I t- said to the kids, that whenever you walk from Jerusalem to the neighboring towns, it was always an easy walk because it was downhill. But for these two disciples, again, it was anything but easy because their hearts, again, um, were, were heavy. Verse 14. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. We're going to talk about that. Why would Jesus keep his physical identity from them? Jesus asked him, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know these things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. Ever had somebody butt into a conversation? Right? Do you like that? I don't, especially if it's a, if it's a, a private conversation with somebody, and, you know, very intense, and somebody you don't know just butting in. What is it you're talking about? I don't know about you, but I get a little miffed. Like, this isn't your business. And it would appear that they were a little miffed as well. Who is this guy? And it's almost sarcasm. Um, you haven't heard? You're the only visitor in Jerusalem that doesn't know the events that took place? I mean, it was, it was, everyone was talking about it. Uh, the, the crucifixion of Jesus. And then the, among the believers, uh, that, that the tomb was empty. And Jesus does a, a very smart thing. He asks, what things? Now, now, why would Jesus do this? Why would he keep his physical identity? And why would he say, what things? I said before that their expectations of Jesus were way up here. Uh, who they thought he should be. What they thought he would bring to Israel. Reality, however, was down here. Right? To them, being arrested and then crucified and buried... There's a huge gap between their expectations and reality. And that gap is disappointment. By the way, same is true with you. If you place unrealistic expectations on anybody, and reality is down here, you're going to be disappointed with that person. Jesus knew this. He knew that, that, that they were disappointed, and he wanted them to get it all out so that he could realign reality with expectations and, and change them uh, literally, literally from, from the inside out. By the way, it's actually a good counseling technique. Um, somebody's troubled, they have something on their mind, or perhaps they're not getting to the bottom of it. Just ask them, uh, tell me more, will you? Let them explain what it is. And, and that's exactly why, why Jesus allows this to happen and the conversation to take place the way it does. What things, Jesus asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. 
But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. Okay, it's very clear. In their mind, in their understanding, which was faulty, Messiah should not have been handed over by the chief priests and Pharisees to be crucified. Crucified? Again, that's not our expectations of Jesus. He's to redeem Israel, but he, we want to redeem Israel in how we see redemption. Somehow, a political movement that he redeems Israel so that Israel once, is once again a, a, a superpower of the world. Right? They wanted a political king, a political leader. And, and, and Jesus zeroes in on that. And, and he, he, Jesus has listened to them. Again, they've been able to spill their guts a little bit. And then Jesus said, it says in verses 25 to 27, How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, Jesus is saying, why are you saying that? Why are you saying that Jesus, the Messiah, should, should not have been crucified? And then he says, is it not written that Messiah will have to suffer first and then enter his glory? And then Jesus goes to every portion of Scripture and explains to them personally, as the Messiah, how he fulfills the Scriptures. I've always wanted to hear that conversation, hearing Jesus explain directly the prophecies and how he fulfilled them. There are many of them. Uh, we had one earlier from Peter. He's, he's talking about how Messiah would have to, uh, again, uh, suffer first. I want to take you to one that is by far the most comprehensive in Scripture. And we're going to watch a video next week, Confirmation Sunday, that ties really today's message and, and next week's message together. And, and it's based on a person today um, who is Jewish. And it was Isaiah 53 and Christians explaining to him, Jesus had to suffer. He had to die in order to be our Messiah. And he now is a Christian, and he's very alive in his faith. But Isaiah 53, and as I read this, again, ask yourself, is the Messiah supposed to suffer and die? Can he be our Messiah if he's not willing to suffer and die? So it's Isaiah 50, end of 52. By the way, Isaiah the prophet wrote 750 years before Jesus. Prophecy oftentimes is written in past tense. That's what God does. God puts it in past tense because it's as good as happened in God's view. Uh, and in the servant in Isaiah, and, 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 and uh, Jews in the Old Testament as well as today, the servant is the Messiah. He is Yeshua. He is the promised one. Chapter 52, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. I ironically, that would be on the cross. Just as there are many who were appalled at him... His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness, 
So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. So again, this servant, his physical appearance marred. He's beyond even looking like a, like a human being. Sounds like a suffering servant to me. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the armor of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So, so Isaiah is predicting that people are going to reject him. They're going to despise him, not esteem him. But this is the servant of God. Surely, verse 4, he took up our infirmities, he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And again, you, you see this exchange that our sins, our iniquities placed on this servant, and through his wounds, again, we are healed. Verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. Jesus would not have any physical descendants as far as children. Why? Because he would be cut off from the land of the living. Another way of saying he's going to die. By continuing on. Verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Jesus, truly the innocent sufferer, as we talked about Good Friday... Assigned a grave with the wicked and the rich. Uh, Joseph Arimathea, a rich man, loaned him his grave for three days. Uh, continuing on. Yet, verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Think about that. God's will to crush him, to allow this to happen. Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why are you, are you forsaking me? Psalm 22, he's fulfilling scripture. God's will. Why? So that one person could suffer for everyone else. So that we, again, could be, could be set free. Continuing on. And, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, and that's what Jesus' death was, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. So how is this possible? He's cut off from the land of the living. He's assigned to a grave. Yet God will prolong his days. And the mystery is solved in the resurrection of Jesus, coming back to life. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After suffering, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. 
By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquity. Therefore, I will give him the portion among the great who will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the main prophecy concerning the Messiah. Can you read this and conclude the Messiah doesn't have to be cut off from the land of the living? He doesn't have to suffer? He doesn't have to be facing our iniquity? The answer is you can't. So, again, Jesus is saying, why would you say that? Why would you say that Messiah should not have to suffer? Jesus, is, in other words, is saying he could not be the Messiah unless he fulfilled those prophecies first. Again, going back to our text, Jesus said, How foolish you are, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Now what Jesus does here, he's opening up scripture. And that's going to be the, uh, we're going to see here at the end and how beautiful it was for the opening up of scripture. It really created a change of heart from the inside out. But he also addresses their, their faulty thinking and, and their sin. Um, basically, Jesus says two things. How foolish you are. Foolishness has to do with our thinking. And then how slow to believe what the prophets have spoken. Believing is something with the heart. So they have thick heads and they have slow hearts. And, and, and they are refusing to believe everything that the Bible was saying concerning Jesus. I think this is a very common problem today among Christians. And could I be as bold as to say that it's a very common problem among us this morning? Believing portions of Scripture, but not believing everything that God has said to us in His Word. Now, I pointed out a few weeks ago <coughs> the sin of the, the Pharisees. In Jesus' day, you have two opposite religious groups. Right? You have the, the Pharisees, the legalists, they're adding to God's word. They're trying to bind Jesus in what he was doing. And, and Jesus had not, no good thing to say about the Pharisees. Legalistic, and again, they were as far from heaven as could be. But Jesus said there's the opposite side, too, the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, they, they, their, their sin was they only believed in portions of Scripture. They didn't believe in heaven or hell. So they were, they were picking and choosing what portions of Scripture to believe. And Jesus says, watch out for both. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, self-righteousness, but watch out for the yeast of the, the Sadducees, where they want to pick and choose what portions of Scripture to believe. Now, I've met well-intentioned Christians who have said to me, I don't study the Old Testament Scriptures. The Old Testament is about the law. It's, there's a lot of death, killing. I don't like that. I'm only going to study the New Testament because the New Testament is where the gospel is. If that's the approach scripture, you have to realize your faith is very shallow. Two-thirds of the Bible is the Old Testament. When Jesus said these things, the New Testament had not been written yet. And yet Jesus said, this, these scriptures testify about me. The Old Testament is filled with grace. It's filled with the gospel. What God has got done above and beyond what we deserve to save sinners like you and me. Um, and likewise, the New Testament 
we have the beauty of seeing Jesus fulfill the Old Testament. Um, but it's not that the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is, is gospel. That's totally not true. Um, I've also uh, met a person and, you know, meditate on God's word. And I say that, meditate on God's word. And this was years ago. And she said, oh, I meditate every day. I meditate on the Psalms. And in the course of my conversation, I realized that's all she did. She only meditated on the Psalms daily. And again, I like reading the Psalms every day, a portion of them. But if your only diet, if your only meditation is the Psalms, again, you're missing out on the rest of Scripture. God's Word is like a smorgasbord, right? And he says it's healthy to eat all of it. And, and, and don't just limit yourself to one portion. It's all good. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. All scripture. There, we shouldn't pick and choose, again, what we want to believe, what we choose not to believe. Now, Jesus, again, he addresses their sin, but then he opens up the scriptures to them. Notice the change that took place, verses 28 through 32. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And open the scriptures to us. So again, I, I, I love this, that um, Jesus, his physical identity, he's kept from them. He is acting as if he's going further than Emmaus. And, and he waits for their invitation to spend the evening meal together. Now, they're already believers. They already believe and trust in him. But Jesus is waiting for them to say, Jesus, come dine with us. Spend more time with us. And Jesus responds. And he goes to the house. And, and at the meal, normally if you're a guest, you are served. But Jesus' way of doing it, he, when the meal is served, he acts like the host. He takes the bread, he breaks it, he gives it to them. And then he reveals his physical identity. Then and only then. And they realize that it's Jesus. All along. That's why he could open up the scriptures as well as he could. Now, now, why did Jesus do this? Again, why did he keep his physical identity? Was he being dishonest with them? Not at all. He's God. He was being very wise. Jesus knew that within 40 days, he would be leaving this world. Even though present in spirit, people are not going to see him physically. Jesus knew, again, only 40 days. He wanted to open up himself and reveal himself through the pages of Scripture first. And then his identity. It truly was a conversation like none other. Started out kind of bad. Who's this guy, you know, merging in and um, putting his nose into our conversation? But Jesus turned it around. He realigned their thinking, and he changed the conversation to be Christ-centered and pointing out again the Messiah had to suffer. Now, after Jesus disappears, what do the, what do these Emmaus disciples do? The ending is seen in. Verses 33 through 35. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, 
and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was excuse me, how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. It didn't matter anymore that it was evening, the sun was setting. It didn't matter that Jerusalem is seven miles away, uphill. What do they do? When they recognize Jesus, they return to Jerusalem immediately. For what reason? To tell the others. It is true. Jesus had this conversation with us. They actually had to share the good news. Friends, Jesus is calling us to have a conversation with him. The way Jesus works today is through the word. Study God's word. Have daily devotions. Read the Bible in a year. Tap into the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Psalms, the Proverbs. See how Jesus is revealed in those scriptures. It's good to have heartburn every once in a while. Heartburn when it's associated with the word of God and our faith growing. Finally, conversation like none other. The way it works in the New Testament is that we, we, our faith is strengthened, our faith is realigned with the resurrected Jesus, and then God gives us opportunities to share that news with others. That's what the Emmaus disciples did. And God is calling us to have conversations like none other with the people closest to us in our lives. That's how it works. To Jesus be the glory. Amen. May the true peace of God which surpasses our understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in him.